Arnie. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel <clears throat> around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, divine love, as we inch closer to you today, become more present to your presence that is all around us. I ask that you would humble us, just in that gentle, honest, but sometimes it cuts, that kind of way in which you just so bring us back to who we really are. May you humble us. And may you also give us the courage to know that there is a potential for change in our life. There is a potential to go and live the life of loving others that you have called us to do with our hands, with our lives, with our homes, with our relationship. And it can happen. May you empower us with your courage, your way, through your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would use the words of just a human like myself, a broken man. May you use it for your own glory to speak through your spirit to the hearts of us all. Teach us, lead us, show us your way, O oh Lord. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want you to think of the last time, a last moment in your life that felt potentially a little courageous. Maybe it was having that kind of hard and loving conversation where, you know, just every word feels like a risk. The other people don't realize it's a risk, but you're really putting yourself out there, wondering how you'll be received. Maybe lately you stood as an ally for others. You stand on the margins of society at times, and you just felt, you felt the vulnerability of standing with them. Maybe it's simple, at work you were given a project, you were called to present, you were called to lead something, you were called to kind of do a new thing, a new adventure in the midst of it, and you felt like something is on the line here for me. Maybe for some of you that served with our partners at Bridge House, serving meals to those in a world, and it, it just felt like a dynamic felt different for you, it felt like a courageous moment. Maybe it was an embodied moment, a moment where you're like on a zip line jumping and going like 200 feet through the air and you hate heights. I don't know what it was. If you can't think of one, I'm gonna give you one. Because one of the funny things about humility and courage is um, it's not something that we just often need to think about. It's something we actually need to practice. We're gonna take two minutes, literally two. You're gonna find someone else or two other people and maybe share a moment that felt courageous right now. Are you ready? Find someone, maybe someone a little safe, maybe someone not safe at all, depending on how courageous you are. I'll watch the time. If you both don't get to share, maybe find each other later. Share a moment that you came to your mind that felt courageous in your own story. On your marks, get set, go. Two minutes, I'll watch the clock, don't worry. Anything? <clears throat> All right, you're one minute in, one more minute. All right, let's bring, it, let's bring it back. Half of you probably didn't have to share, and you're feeling just great relief um, right now. For those of you who didn't have story, you just sat in two, two minutes of church looking at someone and trying to like, have a conversation. Very courageous of you. Like, that can be your moment right now is your attempt at doing it. Courage is that weird. Humility and courage, just like for some of us, Uh, It just makes us feel sick to the stomach, doesn't it? And other times, it just makes us feel completely alive, and sometimes both. 
Humility has a similar feeling and emotion to it for many of us. I think for all of us, we often think about humility. We've read the books about it. We've heard the TED Talks about it. We think about courage. We've seen the movies. But when it comes to actually embodying it and living it in this day and in this world through our spiritual life, it feels like there's just a disconnect. Or maybe we don't, under, we don't see our lives as courageous, more courageous than they ever have been. And we need to put story to each other's courage, story to each other's seen humility. And so we come to this passage in which we see Jesus embody humility and courage all at one moment as he's leading to one of the most important moments of his entire life. Before we move on, I just want to look at these two words real quick. First, that of humility. Um, I like doing these like where you just kind of get all of the root of the word. Um, and you can read some of them for yourself. Modesty, sweetness, a lowness, a small, small stature. In church Latin, there is this meekness, this lowly and humble. It literally means on the ground, the humus, the, the earth, this kind of deep soiliness, this earthiness to our existence. I think of the Wendellberry poem, Resurrection. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the tree every thousands of years. So think of like leaves and worms and things kind of eroding and creating this deep, rich soil which things and life comes out of. It is that rich, earthy soil that is humble. It is of the earth. It's what Genesis says we are created from with the very breath and life of God. It is our humanness. It is something we share. It is something that we need to celebrate and at times need to grieve. This earthiness to every single one of us. And it's from this earthiness, this dirt, this deep, dark, rich soil that life begins to find breath and shape and create other life. Courage, on the other hand, we hear it has a lot of different ways in which it's been interpreted. A lot of it has to talk about sometimes the mind, but it gets to the core in Latin, the idea of core, the heart. Courage is something that comes out of the heart, often seen as a zeal and a strength or an inner strength within who we are. I like it how it says this, the word was used broadly for what is in one's minds and thoughts. So at some point, courage is in some ways neutral. At some points, it can be bravery. It can be just this standing up for others, this courageous moments. But it also can, can go the wrong way if it's coming from the heart. It can also have wrath and pride and confidence or lustfulness. I think of um, courage, how we often see it maybe in Hollywood, of this warrior, as William Wallace talks to William of Orange and, and says, now tell me, what does it mean to be noble? Your title gives you a claim to your throne of, the throne of your country, but men don't follow titles, they follow courage. Now our people know you, noble and common, they respect you, but if you would just lead them with courage to freedom, they would follow you. And the great William Wallace says, and so will I, courage Courage and humility, more than probably any of the other values that we share, are, have this needed relationship for the fruit of both to come out. 
Sometimes we miss the, the definition of courage when it becomes just this lone soldier kind of going into town and rescuing all people. There, there's something we miss. If courage without humility is a dangerous like bravado, it is often ego-driven to get bigger and bigger in ourselves when it lacks humility. This is much of the narrative we have of courage in our stories, in our world. This fearless lone ranger conquering all fears. But in some ways, I think that courage often misses humility. Yet humility without courage can be self-defeating. It can be selfish. Oh, don't pay attention to me. Don't listen to me. I don't have a voice. And we think we're just doing this humble act, but inside what we're really doing is just protecting ourselves. I used to um, start every sermon, especially when I was younger doing this, I would start every sermon with trying to beat myself up as fast as I could so that the bar would go as low as possible for everyone in the room. So then if it was just okay, it was like, hey, we did well. I thought it was humility. It was just self-hatred. It was just self-defeating. It was a selfish move in the name of humility. It lacked courage. Humility without courage is sometimes a way in which we love to disguise and hide ourselves from others. So how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus hold both humility and courage in his life? What does it look like when these transformative entities of humility and courage, they're given for the sake of others? for a purpose and a mission of love? How might we harness these things given to us as gifts from God for the sake of other people? And so how do we see Jesus being present in holding these two as one in some single actions? Well, let's look at a couple things. Humility and courage for Jesus comes from the sacred ground. It is, it is the grounding in which Jesus walks in this world, this sacred ground in which Jesus lives from, that he deeply understands his identity. It's not up for sale. It's not up for negotiation. As Jesus walks in this world, as he develops relationships, as he faces persecution, as he has great hope, he is on the sacred ground of a beloved identity in God. We see this all the time with Jesus. As he moves courageously to healing, as he moves courageously to feeding, as he moves courageously to speak truth against the religious society of the day, it always comes from a place of where he is rooted and grounded in his identity in God. From the very words that were spoken to him at his baptism, you are my beloved child in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. If and only if you do it perfectly. No, Jesus receives this before he actually jumps into his ministry. It is that sacred ground that Jesus holds and says, no, this is who I am. I hold the beloved identity that I have. And it is from this safe, from this place of trust, from this place of knowing and being known that Jesus begins to live out of. The passage says in the very beginning before he washes his disciples' feet, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. 
the very soil from which Jesus is living from is this realization that he is from God and that he is going to God. He is from God and is moving to God. And we think maybe this is reserved just for Jesus because he's extra special. But there's something that we learn in, in uh, the scriptures is that he was human. He was of the dirt, of the soil, of the life. And that his identity becomes our identity, our very dignity and life, our very soil in which we are born from. He sees this, accepts it, receives it, and lives from it. This is the sacred ground which he has toiled, he has worked, he has spent hours in prayer and silence in the scriptures to know this is who I am. If we do not start there, we will act out of a false humility and a false courage. This self-awareness of life in God, only when Jesus is able to embrace it, is he free to act with that humility and with that courage for others. So do we have this safe, trustful, knowing and being known life in God? A life that when we confess, we actually receive and say, you know what, I actually believe I'm forgiven. Gosh, I am sinful, I am broken, I am messed up, I failed already today, and it's only 6 a.m. But I was created from God. And my story is moving towards God. And God is with me now. And from that safe, forgiven, grace-filled place, just maybe I can bring life to this world, and to others. See, we are called to befriend our earthiness, to befriend our, our brokenness, our fragility, our sinfulness, to even just accept it and see that it is part of who we are. And in the same way, to have the courage to befriend our heart, our passion, our zeal, our created dignity, which we all have been given. It's a courageous act to do both. In this passage, Jesus goes and he washes his disciples' feet, and we always get the beautiful example of what not to do from Peter, and what we probably would do if we were in the story ourselves. So Jesus comes in this movement of a servant, and this passage actually says this movement of a slave, this work that, that, that no rabbi, no teacher should ever do. He comes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. I'm more humble. I'm just really humble. Like, don't wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. For all those givers out there in the world, I hope that you're hearing the lesson. When someone comes to serve you, and you go, no, 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 I'll serve you. We know what you're up to. It's not humility. It's a way of hiding. It's a way of kind of like selfishness. I I hate to call it out, but I do it all the time. We feel better serving others than we do being served. So, Jesus, so Peter says, no, 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 don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I can't wash your feet, then we have no part of this relationship. There's no relationship here. There's not a giving and receiving. So Peter like, jumps into the courageous other part. Well, then just wash all of me. He's like, settle down, dude. You already took a bath. You just, your feet are disgusting. Let's figure this situation out. My guess is for about at least half of you in this room, for all of you in some way, 
the most courageous thing that you could do is to receive. We love to hear this passage and think of ourselves going around and washing others' feet just like Jesus did. How can we be people who are washing the feet of our world? We'll get there. But before we get there, we need to talk about the sacred ground of receiving. Peter first had to receive the love of Christ. Peter first had to receive the washing and the cleansing of Christ. Peter first had to be served and say, you know what, this is a sacred ground in which, which God sees me as good, as lovely. Are we, will we allow ourselves the humility and the courage to be served by God? To let God's grace fall upon us like snow falling from the sky just to receive it. Not because of what you have done, but because of what God has done for you. That just might be the hardest and most good news you've ever received. It's a lifelong journey to put our feet and our lives and our hearts in the very heart, into the very presence of God. So first, there's a sacred ground in which Jesus begins to act humbly and act courageously from. From this sacred ground, Jesus begins to outpour himself in two ways, in a literal action and in vulnerability. The, the Greek in this is so important. He got up from the table. He took off his outer robe. He tied the towel around him. Then he poured out the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel as it was tied around him. Jesus gets up from the table. The verbs are so strong. It is a verb. It is an action. It is a movement. It is a very like embodied way in which Jesus is going. He's not just talking about washing feet. He's actually doing it. Courage and humility takes action, takes embodiment, not just thoughts about it. And so he goes, and he takes the water, and he bends down, and he gets naked before them, and he begins to wash their feet. This image of Jesus kind of stripping down and being naked before them as he washes their feet adds to what courage and humility demand, which is that of vulnerability. See, we are people who love to kind of stay within our minds and our emotions, but when it comes to actually saying the words out loud, when it comes to actually embodying it in our life, that's when it really gets on the line for all of us. And so Jesus is clear that this is not just something we're going to talk about. This is an action I'm going to participate and ask you to participate in. And it demands great vulnerability. Um, in reading, when trying to understand courage in our day now, reading um, the infamous and amazing Brene Brown talk about courage, she often, when teaching students about courage, starts with showing a video of a flash mob, of like people kind of dancing randomly in the streets, and has all the students kind of watch the flash mob, and as they're watching it, they're actually not watching the people doing the dance, but the people surrounded and watching to see how are they reacting to just crowds of people dancing. If I had a more protection budget, we would have like started dancing right here and just reacted to see how it happens. But what you notice in the research of watching these flash mobs is that children often are like, this is awesome. They just jump in. They just start like dancing with everyone else. Teens, so much is on the line. So much identity, so much will the world accept me that they are the most frozen usually in the moment. I know those days, those are real. Like you don't wanna put yourself on there, you don't even want your parents to put themselves out there to ruin the identity in which you are shaping. Like the world 
can be cruel, and you realize that when you're in middle school at times. So they don't dance at all. Adults, about 5% of them will kind of move. Some of them will join the dance. Some of them will just tap a toe. But unwilling to risk, to be part of it all. They often, people just grab their phones and observe. This is what we do with humility and courage. We can observe it all the time, but to, to step into it ourselves is something different. Brene Brown writes this, both joy and pain are vulnerable experiences to feel on our own and even more with strangers. The foundation of courage is vulnerability. And I would say that's true for humility as well. In all my research, 200,000 plus pieces of data, I can't find a single example of courage that didn't require vulnerability. Can you, in your own life, can you think of one moment of courage that didn't require risk, uncertainty, or emotional exposure? I know the answer is no. I've asked many people to say this, including special operations soldiers, who we think are just these robots that can step into courageous moments. No vulnerability, no courage. No vulnerability, no courage. We have to show up and put ourselves out there. When the singing starts and the song and the dancing is underway, at the very least, we need to tap our toes and hum along. And in the moments of pain, when the tears fall and the hard stories are shared, we have to show up and stay with the pain. The life of Jesus is getting to a climax. And the one thing he knows that is clear that he is called to do is to show up. To show up to those who are sitting at the table around him. To dance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The dance of grace. And to invite every single one to join. May it not be lost that this cost Christ everything. Can you imagine the moment in which he bends down to Judas' feet and washes him? The one that's gonna betray him eats with him and Jesus washes as well. In my personal opinion, it may be wrong because we don't know the end of the story. I don't think he's forgotten. Jesus sees him, invites him in, engages courageously and humbly with him. So we have to come from a sacred ground. We actually have to do something, put words, action, embodiment to it. And then the last is that we understand for Jesus that for him, this is what he sees as a purpose and a mission. He's doing it for the sake of others. It is very difficult to be humble if you are not being humble for the sake of others. We have to begin to think of others, not as higher or lower than us, but just to put our thoughts on them and for them and who they are. This is how we get out of the pattern of just kind of going in the same tape that plays in our head. We push pause and say, you know what, I just want to think about others for a little bit. The passage starts with this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Why does he do this? Why does he act so humbly and courageously? Because he loved them. 
He actually loved them. Some who would even be deemed in history as his enemy, he loved them. And at the end of this passage, if you keep going in John 13, Jesus says, now I've done this for you. I've washed your feet. I've done this because I love you. And this is what I want you to do for one another, to love one another as I have loved you. This is your purpose, your mission, your calling, your way in which you are called to move and journey in this world is for the sake of loving others. True humility, true courage comes out of a love for others. You see, this passage is the beginning of Jesus' movement to the cross. This is why he enters this world, is to serve and to love others. It's why he's actually able to do so. It's because it comes from that point, that place. This is the beginning of this weekend that Jesus enters into. One theologian, Leslie Newbegin, puts it this way. At this point of the gospel, we move out of the streets into the quiet room, this upper room. We move out of the streets into the quiet of a room. The noise of the cosmos has died away. The stillness of the night prevails. And yet in the quiet room, Jesus is preparing his disciples and us for a mission to the world in which he is to send them. The word cosmos occurs no less than 40 times in five chapters, starting with this one, from John 13 to 17. And it all begins from this particular room, from this particular action in which Jesus begins to serve. It's from that place that he says, we will go out into all of this world, to the cosmos of our existence, and we will humbly and courageously serve as God has served us. And so, friends, as we are trying to understand our identity as a community, this, pa- this, chapter, this passage asks us, will we be a church on the journey with Christ whose purpose and mission and identity is driven with a love for others? Will our service to each other, to our city, to our work, to our schools, will it come out of a place of deep humility? We don't have the answers of how to bring redemption to this world. For so long, Christians have thought they had it all the answers, and if they could just say it loud enough, then everything would change. But what Jesus showed us is, no, we have to start with humility. We have to move in with service before we know the answer of what everyone needs. It's the selfless act of service that we're called to enter into first and foremost. Will we be a church that is humble enough that understands we are loved enough to set our ego, to set our false identities aside, to set our claiming of what we want and need for this world, will we just stand on the sacred ground of being the beloved of God and go into the schools, the hospitals, the workplaces, the relationships in our own home and say we are here to humbly serve and to love as we have received the love with God, of God? And will we serve with a great and one of my favorite sermons from Martin Luther King Jr., the drum major, <clears throat> the drum major, he says this about service. 
It says everyone can be great. Every single one of us can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics, although you can, but to serve. All you need is a full heart of grace and a soul generated by love. And so from the sacred ground of beloved of God, may we move into this world with purpose, with mission, with the journey to serve and to love as Christ has so courageously served and loved us.